And welcome back to the Back in Style podcast, the Twisted Mug Media Network's Twin Peaks podcast. I'm Logan. And I'm Matthew. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, episode 10 of season 2 of Twin Peaks, which is called Dispute Between Brothers. Yes, we are continuing a review of the Twin Peaks series. We're now on to season 2, just at the double digits. Um, I believe season 2 has 21 episodes, so we are uh, reaching that halfway mark, really getting into the thick of it. And... uh, this comes right after a very climactic episode. If you listen to our episode 9 podcast, you know everything that transpired there. And um, the following episodes have been described as a sophomore slump, and I think we'll get into it, but I think we begin to see a little bit of that in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we definitely start to see a little bit of that slump kind of start to happen. Um, <clears throat> it, it's not in full effect yet. This episode is not... The very low point of season two, but... It's not? Oh, no. Oh, no. I, <laughs> but it's... I have some thoughts. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's setting up the low point, for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, let's just get in. We'll start talking about it. Um, this aired on December 8th, 1990. Uh, guest stars James Booth as Ernie Niles, Jane Greer as Vivian Smythe, Clarence Williams III as Roger Hardy, uh, Gavin O'Hurley... Uh, is Sergeant King, uh, Tony J as Dougie Milford, Don Kalfa as Vice Principal Greege, and Michael Parks as Je- as Jean Renault. And there are a bunch more that it says co-starring, but that's a lot of names. I should mention I'm reading from, as as we like to call it, the Twin Peaks Bible. It's called The Essential Wrapped in Plastic: Pathways to Twin Peaks, written by John Thorne. Uh, so here we go with our plot summary. Sarah refuses a sedative as she prepares for Leland's funeral. Cooper comforts her. He says that Leland fell victim to a dark and heinous thing long ago. Eileen, Sarah, and Audrey reminisce about Laura. Donna talks with Ed about the missing James. Briggs invites Cooper to go fishing. Mayor Dwayne Milford and his brother Dougie argue. Ed and Truman break it up. Pete explains that Dougie and Dwayne have had a feud for years, but it has gotten worse since Dougie got engaged to a young woman. Ed and Dr. Jacoby convince the principal to admit Nadine to school. Cooper tells Audrey that he lost someone close to him once. She was a, mi- she was a material witness that he and his partner, Wyndham Earl, were supposed to protect. Uh, Catherine explains to Truman that she escaped from the fire and into the woods. Dick Tremaine says that he is enlisted at the Happy Helping Hand program as a part-time big brother. Truman gives Cooper a fishing lure and a bookhouse boy patch. Cooper responds, I am honored beyond my ability to express myself. Before Cooper departs, Special Agent Roger Hardy and Mountie King arrive to inform Cooper that he has been suspended. Hardy tells Cooper that internal affairs is suspicious of his conduct. Hardy and King suspect Cooper stole some drugs that King was using for a drug bust of Jean Renault. Hardy asks Cooper to, re- to surrender his gun and badge. Truman tells them they are wrong about Cooper. Nadine shows her amazing strength by throwing a student across a field. Leo begins to move. Vivian says the Double R is not a good restaurant, and Norma tells her to get out of her life. Hank wants Ernie to steal money for Jean Renault. Renault introduces them to King. He has the drugs Cooper was supposed to have stolen, and uh, plans to plant drugs in Cooper's car to frame him. Truman is awoken by a badly beaten Josie. Cooper and Briggs roast marshmallows and talk about Bob. Briggs asks Cooper if he has ever heard of the White Lodge. An unseen force moves through the woods. Uh, A bright light flashes and a cloaked figure appears among the trees. Cooper rushes to Briggs as the light goes out. And that is our plot summary of this episode. Um, You know, what are your thoughts, Matt? I think we both agree that you can see there's a drop in quality here. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. This was... This was a bad episode. This was the first episode of Twin Peaks where I went, oh, this is this is not good. Like, this <laughs> is just bad, and I don't like it. And it was so sad. Um, but you just, you you feel the lack of one, uh, of, of one, like, major storyline through the entire episode. You know, Laura's murdered, finding that murderer, Bob. And there just, there wasn't any of that. And as a result, I thought this episode was so messy and all over the place. And you could just, like feel them trying to grasp onto something to continue this season two and i just oh god i was not a fan not yeah, a fan Ooh, yeah the, with exception towards the last scene with briggs <laughs> oh yeah definitely i mean yeah that's a great scene and you know there 
I've said before that I think there's about one plot line that that goes throughout the most throughout most of the rest of uh, season two, and it is set up in this episode. I I don't want to expressly say what it is because it's still kind of fun to like see it develop as from kind of just like a background um, sort of plot that's just been mentioned. But um, yeah, I mean, there there are these other plots that are starting to come about that are basically just filler. Um, and they're trying to fill this void that the the main Laura Palmer, Bob plot um, left when it was finally resolved in a group of what we both agree is or were really good episodes. Um, but, you know, they maybe should have thought about kind of what they wanted to do after that a little bit. Yes, it um, I just thought the writing in, in in this in this episode was just bad because when you don't have that very serious storyline, the very serious thread throughout the entire show, you know, it's always had like very like we, we talk about how it straddles the line between soap opera and kind of being aware of its more melodramatic elements. But when there's not like that very serious plot line, everything just felt so corny and so thick with the melodramatic, especially this first scene with the funeral. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it... Everything in this episode kind of gets away from the self-awareness and goes just towards the melodrama. Um, You mentioned the writing. This is written by uh, Trisha Brock. I forgot to mention this before. Written by Trisha Brock, directed by Tina Rathborn, and edited by Tony Morgan. So I don't think that this is a writer that we've seen before on the show. Um, So yeah, I I don't really know the the behind-the-scenes story to this. Um, Maybe they were just looking for to get some new writers, some fresh blood into into this show, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you have some, you know, behind the scenes secrets of Twin Peaks, please email us at twistedmugmedia at gmail.com. We would love yeah, that. Yeah, Kyle McLaughlin, we know you're listening to us. We know you're listening. We know you listen to <laughs> we us know. every week. Um, <laughs> well, let's just get right into this episode. Um, so this is three days uh, after Arbitrary Law, which is our last episode, um, even though it's three weeks in podcast time. <laughs> It's only only three so days. So true. <laughs> um, and we see the Palmer house again, and uh, there's now a photo of this brown-haired Leland. Uh, he's on the mantle at the Palmer house right next to Laura's picture. I, I like this imagery. Yeah, it was sad, you know, coming off of episode nine and definitely, like, kind of knowing uh, the, the trauma in Leland's past with Bob, seeing a younger photo of him definitely brought that back up. And then uh, Mrs. Palmer starts talking about that with Cooper, which yeah. they get into, which, which is interesting because I know in the previous episode you would, we had kind of, when Leland is giving that, 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 that monologue at the end where he talks about meeting Bob for the first time, we had talked about how like it could kind of be read that that was trauma, but it seems like in this episode, like Cooper basically says like he was young, he was innocent, terrible things happened to him, kind of just pinpointing it to that even. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I really like this scene of, of Cooper just reassuring Sarah that, you know, Bob is gone. Uh, and Cooper doesn't really know that, but we get the sense, you know, it's going to make Sarah feel better. Uh, and he reassures her that, Leland, uh, Leland saw Laura in his final moments and, uh, he was forgiven. And yeah, I, I think that's a nice, a nice way to kind of just put a little bow on the last episode. You know, it, it felt like its own complete unit. Um, but this was just like a little something extra. Like here's a little bit more closure on that. Yeah, it's not entirely peaceful, though, because then this ominous music comes in, and we get the shot of the stairs and the fan. Oh, and the extreme close-ups on Sarah's face. Very oh, uncomfortable. So, yes, all all while Cooper is talking, just focused on her face. Yeah, um, and I mean, the image of the fan and the stairs, again, just recalling her be- crawling down the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. Haunting. And then throughout this whole wake scene, uh, there's this weird overlapping music. Uh, it starts with this this like really dark and sinister music that we've heard before. And it transitions into this, this beautiful like uh, string music. This will kind of become like our new love theme. I think. uh, Oh no, really? I didn't like it. (laughs) Oh, I really like this. Okay. So this is, um, this, this new love theme. I think I'm pretty sure that appears a lot in the rest of season two. Um, It's actually like, really close to a Julie Cruz song. 
that's played in either Fire Walk With Me or um, the the finale of season two or something like that. But it's called uh, Questions in a World of Blue. And it's, it's a beautiful song. Uh, and this music, it, it's really close to it. I feel like uh, they sort of adapted this to be a, 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 a song for Julie Cruz to sing. Okay, interesting. But yeah, they definitely do that overlap because it, it starts off with the ominous music yeah. over overlapping that Julie Cruz-esque uh, song you were talking about. And then it overlaps that that, that love theme with like kind of that um, almost like the Bobby theme is what yeah, I yeah, think. The, that's what you usually hear, the, the scattering of drums. I, I have in my note the cool Bobby drums. Yeah, cool Bobby drums. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I really like this. And I mean, this looks like some fantastic food. Oh, Hank is piling it Hank on. Hank is piling it on. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you. When I was looking at people keep putting dishes down on the table, it looks amazing. Yeah. Um, it, it was also uh, pretty sinister, though, because it, it had that overlapping of the music yeah. with the ominous one on top. And it was, ugh. But this is a this was a long scene. And it was, um, I mean, kind of like uh, the funeral that we saw with everyone kind of coming together, but just uh, less intense, I guess. And less more, narratively more focused. Full. Yeah, it jumps around a lot. It jumps around a lot. It I feel like it's kind of trying to set up a lot of different things, but I mean, in some ways it's kind of fun to see, you know, a bunch of different characters that we know and we like and, you know, we get these tiny like tiny like mini scenes, uh these just little interactions. Um and that's kind of nice, but also at the end of it you're like nothing really happened. Mm-hmm. And nothing was really yes. set up or developed, um, and and yeah. and the stuff that was there was just oh I know you were a fan of the music but I just I just couldn't get with it. I found it'd be a little bit grating like what, what was going on with the whole Nadine and the shoes <laughs> and the um, and then we get the very interesting scene with the mayor and his brother. <laughs> Uh, which is kind of a dispute between brothers seems the hint of that. I don't know if this is something that's going to be developed more, or I don't know if it was just a way to show off the unique charm of the town, because then, like, this is, you know, shortly before Cooper is planning to leave. Um, just uh, just a lot of weird stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, like, there's stuff with Nadine. She she can't see, or she sees herself in their shoe, and then Ed has to reassure her. Hank is getting all this food and trying to be Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, an interesting thing is Jacoby comes back. Yes, a very interesting one. There's like those, those uh, red and blue uh, glasses. But yeah, he seems to be fully recovered and uh, back from the hospital, and, which he says is due to uh, Hawaii air or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Major Briggs and Cooper make plans to go fishing. Yes, which, which comes up later. And then we also get Donna talking to Ed. Which was, I, I hated this part, and she was, oh, <laughs> James, he feels it's his fault, and I guess that's why he's not here. Oh, God, it was terrible. I couldn't see Yeah, that. no, I totally agree. And the thing is, like, with these scenes, like, if you don't like that, the, it, it just gets worse from here oh, on out. No. Because the thing is, like, yes, it feels like nothing is happening in this episode, but after this, like... The main plots that are set up is like, uh, like I'm I'm looking I'm reading this little blurb about the second season slump, uh, in the essential wrapped in plastic pathways to Twin Peaks by John Thorne, uh, and it's it's listing these, like these kind of filler plots, uh, like like James Hurley has a plot, uh, which is talked about here, but doesn't even begin. We don't see him in this episode. Um, there's. There's a plot with Andy and Dick that's pretty terrible, um, which again is sort of set up, but it doesn't begin. It like that hasn't even started yet. And then yeah. uh, uh, Ben Horn has a pretty weird thing, um, and this this thing with the mayor and his brother um, again doesn't really get into full effect. And so this episode isn't even to the bad stuff; it's just setting up the bad stuff. <laughs> Oh, all those things you listed were things I did not like. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, there is going to be one really great plot that I absolutely love, <laughs> and I can't wait to get to talking about. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's disappointing. Oh, boy. But uh, kind of a nice scene where um, I think it's Doc Hayward, Pete Martell, and Sheriff Truman 
are they're mm-hmm. all talking about you know it's like the quirks of the town uh, they're talking about the mayor's january december type deal uh <laughs> it's a phrase that i love that pete uses yeah um and you know cooper says i'm really gonna miss this place mm-hmm. and uh and yeah I, I feel that yeah i mean i Cooper, for as over the top and exaggerated as he is, like I always, I always genuinely feel the emotion that he that that Kamaglockin is conveying, and I like I, I was like man, like I, I'm, I feel like I was leaving the town. I know, yeah. <laughs> Kamaglockin, come on the show. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so this very next scene, we come up with a pretty huge revelation that Twin Peaks High School still exists. Yes. It has been a long time uh, since we've been back to the high school, and it, it, it goes full uh, 1950s high school fun teenager mode, because it's got that, like, surf guitar almost. Yeah. Oh, it's it, it's goofy, and it's because Nadine is trying to enroll in high school. Yeah, so um, ironically, it's uh, none of the kids that are actually supposed to be in high school here are going to high school, but uh, Nadine, who is, I don't think we know, like 40? Probably. Wants to. I, I think actually maybe they say 35 in this episode. Okay, yeah. Uh, she wants to go to high school. Yeah, we only see the adults and the kids we see are not the, you know, Donna, <laughs> exactly. James, Audrey at all. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I, yeah, I mean, they have Jacoby there, which makes sense. Um, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. So, this is, this plot uh, throughout the rest of the season, honestly, is not that egregious. Um, it's just kind of... It's just kind of there, um, mm-hmm. and it's not great. But they also don't take up too much time with it, so it's fine. Okay. Well, um, all right. Uh, although, our so our friend Ryan, who's on uh, Cinema Talk podcast with us, he's on uh, Stopway Watch sometimes. If you listen to those shows, he uh, he said to me. So he just started watching the show uh, pretty recently, and it has already caught up to us. Uh, so props to him on that. But. Um, he told me that Nadine scares him more than any other character, more than Bob, more than Leland, uh, more than Hank. And he's just, he's absolutely terrified by this new, like, weird, over-the-top cheerleader Nadine. And I feel that. Which I, I love because I, I have never felt that. I, I've felt a sense of discomfort, maybe, and just like, why is this happening? But I, I've never been afraid by her, which makes me laugh because I don't know if you've seen this episode yet. But there's a lot of weird Nadine stuff, and I think he might be terrified. <laughs> I think he might be. Yeah, this might be even. That's uh, yeah. Yeah, this might be even scarier so, than some other stuff. So. Maybe expect a Ryan Floyd appearance sometime in the near future. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, we hope so. I mean, you know, we're still gonna just try to have the show be. I mean, it's always gonna be at least the two of us. So you know, yes. when the two of us are free to record, we'll record. And if Floyd can hop on the mic, then that's fine. You know, he can. He can do that Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so, uh, we then get a scene with Cooper and Audrey. Oh, I mean, there's some good insights in this scene, but I, oh my gosh, the writing for Audrey, especially at the end. <laughs> oh God. I, I like doubled over in pain. It's just so crazy. Audrey has some um, terrible writing in this episode, especially oh, later. So, oh, especially later. So bad. <laughs> I hope you know what I'm thinking of. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, um, yeah. But we do get a kind of insight into the past, uh, Cooper's past, which has been hinted at before. Yeah. Uh, so he, um, he he says that someone was hurt by him, and he's being very mysterious, and then he just kind of lays it all out. Um, it's a lot of exposition, and, you know, I don't mind. It's good exposition because it's done by Kyle McLaughlin. Yes. The writing's not great. It's just kind of, you know, laying it all out there, but, you know... He sells it. He can always sell it. Um, I agree. So he he basically says that he was working on a case with his partner Wyndham Earl, um, and he lost his mind. Um, and we've seen or we've we've heard about Wyndham Earl before. Uh, he's he's mailed Cooper some chess moves, I think. Um, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, this was pretty early season two that they were setting this up. So okay. Um, yeah, and he apparently lost his mind. So this is Cooper's uh, deranged partner. Yeah, and he talks about this whole thing with uh, a woman he loved, and he couldn't save her, um, and she died in his arms. And yeah, and Cooper said he was he was badly injured, I think. Um, and, and this this woman is never named, but 
Diane. I mean, Diane is a name we have heard before, speaking into the the recorder, things like that. Um, so, I mean, we'll see where this goes in regards to that. But yeah, definitely, uh, this is I'm assuming definitely going to be explored uh, pretty heavily. I mean, even uh, even Bob mentioned you know, what like what happened to you in Pittsburgh uh, in the previous episode. Yeah. I think. Yeah, Um, so even he seems to have some sort of understanding of that, which is interesting. Yeah, that's true. So we should have mentioned this at the beginning, probably, but uh, Matt is new to the show. This is his first time watching through. I've seen the show before, so uh, he'll he'll probably make a lot of wild guesses that some of them will be right and some of them won't. So if you're if you're thinking that was a spoiler, it was only a speculative spoiler. Um, Yes, big speculation. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we move on to uh, Bobby. Who's uh, he's looking to get a job with Ben Horn? Yeah. Wait. So what's his what's his game plan here? Because we got the whole thing with the tape, and if I recall correctly, the tape is Leo and Ben Horn talking, right? So maybe it's kind of blackmailing him into giving him a job. That that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's okay. sort of how I I, I see. But I mean, yeah. You know, the 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 whole first season and the first part of the second season, we had this big question of uh, who killed Laura Palmer. And now I think we get a really good uh, replacement to that that's, I think, filled with equal weight, which is, uh, should Bobby pick the green tie or the yellow tie? <laughs> uh, it's a compelling decision. I was, sure, I was personally <laughs> team green tie, and he chose the yellow one. You know what? I was team yellow, actually. Really? As I was watching it, I was like, yellow. Yeah. I, you know, I think I think it worked. I think it you know, contrasted with the hair nicely. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> There's one more thing I wanted to say uh, about the previous scene, mm. uh, something that Audrey says that I just wanted to mention. She says, um, you know, well, let me tell you something. It, it, 20 years later or whatever, I'm going to be much older and watch out for me now. And I just wondered if, if in season three we might get to explore this mm. a bit more because it's you know, what they're saying there is like, uh, it almost sounds like they're planning for a season three at this point. Yeah, yeah. it's just interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I think um, I really want to do more research into this before I I really talk about it. But um, I'm like ninety percent sure that. Um, oh, I think I might have just done something to my microphone or my computer. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm like ninety percent sure that. Uh, David Lynch actually planned to do a spin-off series with Audrey. And oh, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure that it was going to be called Mulholland Falls. Really? Which is interesting. And then oh. when it seemed like that kind of wasn't really going to happen, uh, he made the movie Mulholland Drive. Which yes. we did review okay. on CTP way back when. Um, way back. And s- Without me. <laughs> I was not there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... I'd never really thought about that line that way, but yeah, maybe that could, maybe they were kind of trying to set something up and then they just sort of had to abandon it. But yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, I would have really liked to see that TV show. Like it's kind of Audrey out on her own trying to do her thing. That would be, that'd be, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, all right. So now we get, uh, Catherine back. Yes, so this is when she's in the office. Yes, she's in Truman's office. Okay, what a weird scene, because she she is dead, right? presumed to be yeah. dead, and, and Harry walks in, and just with barely a reaction, just like, oh, uh, aren't you, like, you're supposed to be dead, how are you here? It was, like, so strange, yeah. like, it just felt, and it, it didn't feel, like, weird and surreal in the Twin Peaks way, it just felt, like... What? Like, where's your reaction? It just was strange. I also don't know why she's dressed like a hiker. Yeah. Because in this scene, she talks about how she believes a guardian angel saved her life. And she walked miles in the woods to Pearl Lakes, which we know is important because that's where Leland was supposedly, like, originally possessed by Bob. Okay, that's what I was thinking, but I couldn't remember if it was the same. Okay, interesting. All right, yes, continue. Yeah, and so she's talking about how she walked for miles and miles, and she stayed in this cabin and ate only tuna fish, and then um, we actually get a really great line uh, where she says, or uh, Truman asks, so why did you leave? And she goes, well, I ran out of tuna fish. Yes. (laughs) But with all this talking about walking, it still doesn't explain why she's dressed like a hiker because she's been back for a while, posing yeah. as Tojomura, uh, mm-hmm. getting the getting Ben to sign over the Ghostwood uh, land by blackmailing him. So, 
You know, I, I don't really understand what her costume is about in this scene. The other question I had is, where did she get the Tojimura stuff? Exactly. Uh, you know, when she was explaining what she was doing in the cabin, I expected it to be, you know, I was sitting there with, in a load of, with a load of gun, a can of tuna fish, and a life-size <laughs> Asian man costume <laughs> on my right. Like, I just, I, like, where did you get it? Per- yeah, perfectly tailored, uh... Asian man costume and uh, uh, fake facial hair and and makeup. Fake, and, yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, so that was uh, that was strange for sure. But I, I will say I did find this scene interesting when she is telling the story of her wandering in the woods. Even though I don't really know what to make of that. I mean, if you read into it, it could be like, oh, maybe uh, maybe Bob was trying to lure her into Pearl Lakes or something, but she was fine in Pearl Lakes. So I don't really know. Um, but I just like the way it's shot because it's like she's walking left to right and the camera just pans and follows her and I'll cut back to Truman and it'll just like pan even though he's not moving, just moving side hmm. to side. I just thought that gave a nice rhythm to this. Yeah, that's you know? really cool. I think also um, she seems like she seems a lot nicer in this scene than she ever has been before. Like, well, I think she's also trying to... Um, uh, uh, dissuade him from investigating her. I, I think that's. I, I think she's being pretty yeah, manipulative in, in this scene because I, I forget. Like she, okay, because the whole fire with the Shelley thing. She says that a man called her. Do we know who that is? I'm pretty sure it was Leo. It was Leo. I okay. think. Yeah. Yeah. From my recollection, Leo called her, wanted to get her there, or maybe Ben did. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay, yeah. Cause, but but even through all this, it, it felt it felt pretty manipulative to me. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, so maybe she's really changed. Maybe she's still as manipulative as ever. Speaking of uh, people who are trying to change, uh, Dick Tremaine uh, waltzes into the sheriff's station, climbs up on the ladder uh, with Lucy, who's trying to fix a light. Uh, she's clearly struggling. Uh, I like this scene. She's clearly struggling to put in the light and... Dick is just not helping at all. He's talking about how he's going to be a better person and he's he volunteered for uh uh the helping happy helping hand program and he's going to kind of adopt a, a little kid. I I think so. Sort of adopt. He says a little yeah. innocent homeless waif is I think how he <laughs> describes <laughs> the child. <laughs> um yeah, I mean once again like this scene I was like I just you know, before when they would have these kind of scenes that would take away from the main Laura Palmer, story, Palmer storyline, it was like, okay, I know this isn't like, like this is, I don't really care about this, but I know it's going to cut back in a few minutes to, to Bob and to Leland. But I just know that this is all I'm getting. <laughs> and it just was painful and I couldn't stand it. <laughs> yeah, that is a little disappointing. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Andy comes in. He's really awkward. He always is. And uh, he just says they should all be friends. So I guess we'll see how that goes. Well, it did kind of work on Lucy, you know. Yeah. Like he, he kind of like seduced her there for a second, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. I'm assuming maybe we'll get uh, uh, Andy and Dick Tremaine both in that uh, program together, like trying to bat- duke it out over a kid or something. Who's yeah. the better father? We'll see. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, it is. It does kind of seem like Lucy is like sort of being seduced by Andy because, you know, he's just he's being his like normal goofy self. And he's uh, just like, we should all just be nice to each other. And that's like that's, you know, what it takes to win her over. Apparently it works. It yeah. works. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, after this, uh, you know, still in. The sheriff station, the third, yeah, third consecutive scene in the sheriff station because we have Catherine, then we have Dick, then we have Truman's office again with Cooper coming in, um, mm-hmm. and he gets a green butt skunk, uh, which is the fishing lure that Truman gives him, and uh, Bookhouse Boys patch. Yeah, that was sweet. The Bookhouse Boys patch. Yeah, the whole skunk thing i was just like okay i don't know it was just kind of weird yeah like, t- i just t- it took a really <laughs> long time and it was like you know we get this is important to truman but it's not that important to us 
Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was sweet. And, and, and during this scene, I was wondering, okay, well, I mean, what is it going to be that brings him back? I was like, is he, is he just going to leave for a couple of episodes? Is that why it gets bad? But I mean, we find out later on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a pretty great scene where he's like saying his goodbyes and then, uh, Roger Hardy of the FBI shows up and this, I mean, the first time I was watching this, like this totally blindsided me. I was like, how is he getting suspended? Like it seemed, uh, I think, I think it's a cool move for the show to do. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think about it? Um, I think it's, I think it's a necessary move. I mean, you have to do something here. The case is over he would have to go home and i think this is i think this is one of the better ways to do it um i we'll see where it goes i'm a little bit confused though so they're trying to say like the things that he uh did that were wrong is one he'd crossed the canadian border without contacting the canadian authorities right and then the second one is he's they're suspecting that he had a role to play in the drug trafficking uh part with the with the renault brothers i think Is, is that what it is i think so yeah Okay, yeah, because well, then they tra- and then later on in the episode we see how they're planning to use that against Cooper. So yeah, you know, I think, um, I mean, we'll see where it goes, but it definitely took me by surprise just the image of it. These two new characters we had never seen, one just dressed in the completely like red Canadian, <laughs> Canadian, Canadian police officer outfit, which was really goofy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, so we find out almost immediately that this has to do with One-Eyed Jacks and the business that he that he did there. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's kind of interesting. Well, the, okay. They, so they say that, uh, the DEA is going to be coming in to investigate coop. Um, you know, they make him surrender his gun and badge and Truman comes in and I think has a really nice scene. Um, he's really sticking up for coop. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's because I guess on one hand he did break some FBI rules with the crossing the border without contacting the authorities because they explained how you know we we were having a setup we had a setup like I, I did they have someone planted there was that the thing someone planted that was going to uh, arrest the brothers yeah I think, I think is so. what is implied okay so like he did uh, he did commit a wrongdoing but Truman speaks to his intentions and you know is saying like you can't suspect him. Of anything else, you know, the, the, what he was doing was um, was good and just. Uh, but it is interesting because, I mean, when when you're watching uh, the One Eye Jacks episode, you're just completely root, rooting for Cooper and Truman. Even though I guess technically, you know, they did uh, uh, commit an FBI wrong. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it. Yeah. I, I also didn't really think about like before when he crossed the border. I wasn't like, oh, he shouldn't be doing that. You know, you, you don't think about yeah, that when you're watching. Something, yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of interesting to just to just be coming in now. But you know, I I do think that they do this part pretty well. Pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And it's we haven't seen enough of it, or I haven't seen enough of it yet to to fully see where it goes. Okay. Yeah. See how good it is, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Well. I mean, we already kind of talked about the scene of dialogue with with Audrey and Bobby. Um, but, Ooh. you know, okay, so this is, in my opinion, this is kind of a fun combination of characters that we haven't really seen before. Like, it's sort of a unlikely friendship type thing. It's like if we saw, like, you know, Jerry Horn and uh, Albert have a scene together. You'd be like, well, okay, I didn't really expect to see this, but it's kind of no- it's kind of fun. Um, yes, they have a nice exchange acknowledging that they're supposed to be in school, uh, and they're both not, but Mm -hmm. the dialogue, God. Ooh, it's, uh, it's, it's not great. Um, especially with Audrey. Um, I, I will say though, like you say, this is an interaction we haven't seen before, but, um, it, it, like with their characters, it would make sense to me if Audrey and Bobby kind of started like working together later on in the show or something just their personalities seem to i don't know i, th- I think they might jive well they're both kind of conniving people audrey being much more manipulative but i can see her trying to get him to th- do do these things but um yeah i mean i forgot the one line she has like the uh, the one about school school something my my buns oh, or it, something it, like it my numbs buns. my buns 
it numbs my butt. Oh, I was like, oh god, no. It, it just and it's interesting because we get like one shot of when they finally let Bobby into the office with with Ben Horn, and we see Ben Horn for like one second, like in his chair with like a cigar and um, um, like just lounging, loungewear. But then like we never see him again in this entire episode. And I was like hoping we get a little bit more of him, see what's going on with that after you know he was. Uh, accused of murdering Laura Palmer. Yeah, right. And and then he, after he was accused of murdering Laura Palmer, he was completely conned by Catherine into signing b- the mill land back to, back to her. Yes, yes, that is true. So yeah, so a lot of stuff. Yeah, I know. So it'll it'll it's kind of interesting to see how he deals with that. Uh, yeah, that's all I'll say for now. Again, well, there's nothing much happening with these plots right now, but we will get into all of it eventually. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah, God, she has this awful line about they're going to get ice cream, and she says that she wants a cone because she likes to lick. Oh, I forgot about that and one. And I mean, yep. Uh, yep. there's also, so, it's not even just like it's a little innuendo thrown in there as like part of some banter. Like, it's a long pause. <laughs> it's a long pause <laughs> leading up to that line. Bobby goes like, do you want an ice cream cone? Or like, do you want to go get ice cream? And she's like, yeah. And he goes, do you want a cone or a cup? And it's like, Probably a full five seconds. <laughs> and then she finally says that she likes to lick. And, uh, God, yeah, what what terrible. I did wait a full five seconds just so you could see how long it is. Just so you know. <laughs> just so you know what yeah, no. we just went through. In case you hadn't watched the episode, now you know what we just went through a little bit ago this scene this scene was was not good mm-hmm. i just yeah I, I i did not like it <laughs> yeah uh and then there's a little scene of nadine throwing a dude but yeah that was bonkers um i think i wrote on my notes at that point what is happening <laughs> just because coming off of that really poorly written scene going to this which was just just so weird it's it just it was just a lot yeah. i mean we had seen nadine kind of exercise some superhuman strength before with the fridge but the way they um the way this is shot too like i think it's like when she's grabbing him like i think they they like reverse it and like show it again when she's like actually like grabbing the dude it was so weird it's yeah oh i just i i did not it was weird yeah so weird and then it's just kind of like thrown in there that we're there for like a second and then we go away we we just see him throw the guy and we're like oh okay cool still strong Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we go to Shelly in a sort of interesting scene. Uh, she's on the phone with Bobby, and then Leo starts to move. Oh, so creepy. This, for me, has always just been disregarding Bar- Bob. Like, just the creepiest thing in this show. The idea of someone in your house who was in a coma, who, uh, you know, who cannot speak, who cannot move, but was abusive to you. You have so much trauma from him. And just, you know, those eyes. And, and whenever they hint that he that he is thinking that he has, you know, some ability to move, like in this scene where we just see the wheelchair creep closer ever so slowly, is terrifying to me. Especially that she, knowing that she's in the house alone. Terrifying. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's, it, it's just, it's a really great effect. Um that has been basically set up like from the beginning of the show kind of i mean had they not set up leo to be this this incredibly evil guy then you know this kind of just the simple motion of a wheelchair would not produce any effect yeah i mean i forget but uh, leo wasn't you know a major player in the beginning of season 1 where i mean he was a contender for me for the murder of laura palmer i was like i don't like did he play a gigantic role in this was he in the train car and we find out that he wasn't but yeah yeah really interesting so then this next scene uh we go to the double r and it turns out that norma's mother is mt wentz the food critic and also Uh. is a really terrible person Oh, terrible. I was like, as I was watching this scene, like, aloud, I was like, oh my, like, how dare she? Like, <laughs> to normal? Like, over the top, really. Yeah, like, writes a scathing review of the restaurant um, under under the pseudonym Empty Wentz. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is not, she she refers to it as if it is her job. Which, wait, no, wait, I guess it is. You know what, she's writing this, like, in a newspaper, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. like, as a column. Mm-hmm. Okay. I immediately... Like, my 21st century mind, I was like, oh, she's writing Yelp reviews. <laughs> she has a blog. <laughs> under the, 
Yeah, under the username MT Wentz. Okay. She put it um, on her Instagram yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. But uh, scathing review, and Norma is deeply hurt. But uh, once again, this scene, I was like, I just, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I think Norma does really well in this scene. Peggy Lipton, I yeah. actually think. And actually, I think in this scene, if you go back and rewatch it, I think she looks a lot like Rashida Jones. Yeah, who's I her don't, we haven't, I think we've only, yeah, I think we've only mentioned this like uh that once on the show but yeah she is the mother of Rashida Jones the office parks and rec a bunch of other great stuff and she uh was married to Quincy Jones yeah who's a, a great jazz musician which yeah which I didn't know basically I, well I knew about uh no I actually didn't at all uh I only knew about her connection to the two of them when she died um yes which was fairly which recent. was yeah. last year or two years ago maybe yeah, I, I feel half. like it was yes. 2019 but yeah um yeah but yeah i mean you know an okay scene not really not really worth much but you know yes whatever yeah um so now we go back to one-eyed jacks uh where jean renault is back and and hank and ernie are they're it's fun to watch them interact i think yeah no this was especially ernie um, especially when they bring Jean Renault in. Yeah. I, it, it, it's interesting, their interaction, because first they're going to play fighting, whatever, um, and, and then, like, Hank actually starts to get uh, pressuring him and, and headlocking him. Um, and I'm a little bit confused about everybody's intentions in this scene. So uh, Hank, Hank and Jean Renault and everyone, are they're pressuring Ernie into returning to the criminal life, right, to do some sort of, hacking I think so don't them? feel bad that you don't know what everyone's motives are because I don't either okay because when they show him the cocaine I was wondering what was going on with that yeah uh this is sort of like the equivalent of the whole mill plot like in the first season uh where like okay. I sort of can tell what's going on but every time I watch it I'm like huh maybe this time I'll figure it out yeah. You know, maybe this time I'll I'll get all of the characters' motives and all of these uh, intricacies and everything. Yeah, it's not super well put together. Okay. But this is the first time we see Jean Renault um, after the One-Eyed Jacks uh, episode. Because, I, I mean, we didn't really know where he had gone. He kind of just disappeared after Blackie was shot. Yeah. Um, and I, I do love Ernie in this scene because, you know... At, Ernie kind of like pitches himself to uh to Jean Renault saying he's worked with all these major players and like immediately just his whole way of speech just completely changes um and I, I it almost seems like he just can't help himself but like just return to this criminal life <laughs> and even like when he's done talking he's like oh like uh, he kind of returns to his bumbling self like he just automatically switches into this mode which is which was kind of fun to see yeah yeah I, I like that too um and he is, uh, I think actually in this scene we get a mention of something that's been, or something we saw before, where Hank actually stole the identification of a prosecutor named Daryl Lodwick. I don't know if yes. you remember this. I only picked up on it okay, this time. But, so he picked up... Because he says I was... Yeah. He was in the woods. Right. Right? But thankfully... Uh, but he ran into someone in the woods. Who did he run into? I'm in the pretty woods? sure Jean Renault kind of like, he kind of like had him in a headlock in the woods and was like, who are you? And he goes and checks his ID and it's the prosecutor. Oh, and Hank had stolen so... this ID from, uh, the, from Daryl Lodwick's jacket in the double R diner. So is Hank impersonating Daryl Lodwick this entire time? I don't know. I don't know if Jean still thinks that he is, but yeah, I don't know. Because he says that to Ernie before Jean Renault comes in. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, I don't. It, I don't fully. Understand the whole thing it. is really unclear. But um, yeah, the uh, I I forget his name. I think Monty King, Mounty King. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And he's who's supposedly the the Canadian, like kind of FBI equivalent guy. Um. Is actually working for Jean Renault. We see in this scene. Oh, that's him. That's him. Okay. That's the guy. So the guy who says I don't trust Ernie. Okay, that yeah. adds a little another level there. So, and we don't know. I think at first if he's uh, if he's an FBI agent undercover or if he's 
you know, this, a guy who's involved with Jean Renault and who's undercover in the FBI, we don't really know. Um, okay. I think, but I think by the end of the scene, they've established that they're going to put some cocaine in Cooper's car to try to frame him. Yes. So, yes. yeah. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. Uh, we have a short little scene of Josie. She comes back again. I couldn't really care less about this. I've never really cared about Josie's character, I don't think. Yeah, well, she's... There haven't really been... I don't know, there's not been that many answers given with Josie. Like, all, all she is is just very mysterious. And until, like, I see, like, some answers or, like, some clear, like, oh, this is, like, what Josie was intending, this is where Josie is gone, this was her intention... Like it's just hard for me to like grasp onto any of these scenes and 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 feel compelled in that storyline at all. Yeah, because she she like all these characters are very enigmatic, but she but they they have like a hint of truth or like they give us a flashback, they show us something that let reveals something about that character. But she is just a complete mystery, and it feels like they don't know what to do with her. Yeah, I do think there's some more development that happens for her and some more of an insight into her into her past. But I agree that when when we don't know anything about a character like this, it's really hard to care about her. Yeah, exactly. So, especially when, like, the whole scene is just like, oh, she came back, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not really any kind of big revelation. It's not like we were like, oh, where's Josie? You know, can't believe she's gone. I miss her. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, she's back now. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's this very interesting last scene which in which uh, Major Briggs sets up the idea of a white lodge. And, yeah, yeah. Um, he doesn't really explain anything about it, but uh, interesting, the white lodge. Yeah, and he talks about fear and love, and uh, yeah, very interesting scene. And then Cooper, some, it is it is some men's fate to you know face this darkness. Yeah, but the ones who run from it are. Cowards or the cowardly or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Cooper, you know, goes to urinate in the open air, which he says is, uh, you know, a great feeling, apparently. Um, <laughs> and uh, Major Briggs is gone. There's a flash of light. There's a hooded figure and Major Briggs disappears. And this is basically the end of the episode. Um, yeah. yeah, it is. Um, I mean, we get the owl again um, at, as right before Briggs disappears and yeah. as he is peeing. Um this is interesting though because as the, the lights are flashing and he's running after Briggs, we we get a shot what we saw from the end of episode nine um, of that kind of uh, creepy in the woods. It was the shot you know before the owl came rushing towards the camera at the end of episode nine, and I, th- I think like there's a deer carcass hanging like wherever this is taking place because. Yeah, the, when they showed it at the end of episode nine, I was like, "Is that is that like a carcass?" And I, I'm pretty sure watching uh, seeing it in episode ten now, I think that's what it is. But we get a shot of that, so I mean, it looks like we're back in Bob's lair hmm. almost, or that's where Bob has taken Briggs, which would make sense because Briggs is always Briggs' character has always had a very like supernatural or connection to the supernatural, a knowledge of the supernatural, um, and and while not a police force who's uh you know kind of integral in the investigation or anything like that he was always an an outside factor he always seemed to have a lot of insights on it yeah that's very true yeah so i mean that basically just brings us to the end of the episode um a little bit of a shorter one but yeah not too much to talk about a lot of kind of setting up new plots you know yeah um yeah like you said this is all setting up new things um I mean, it's it's kind of expected coming after such a the climax of episode nine. But yeah, this is definitely leaves us with a lot of things to expect and see in the uh, next episodes, which I am I am very excited to review. Even though I know it will continue to get a little bit worse, which is a little disappointing. But you know, we're holding out here because eventually we will get to Firewalk with me and season three, the return. So there are is a lot of exciting stuff in the, the back and style future. Yeah, for sure. It'll get worse before it gets better, but it will get better. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of great stuff to talk about uh, once we get there. So uh, I think we just want to talk about our other shows on the network for a little bit. Um, uh, So we have the Cinema Talk podcast, which is our uh, main show on the Twisted Mug 
media network. Um, and that's, uh, we have like hour, two hour reviews of movies. Um, it's four hosts, Matt and I are two of them. Uh, you also hear Brendan and Ryan on that show. Uh, do you want to talk about cinema talk movie journal? Yeah. Cinema talk movie journal is kind of the, uh, smaller, smaller format of the smaller scale of the CTP podcast. Um, that's just one where me and Floyd will usually discuss uh, newer releases, although that's going to be kind of hard to do now with uh, newer releases kind of being put on hold with the whole coronavirus crisis. But uh, that being said, we're still going to have content like the top 25 of the decade, which should come out sometime this summer. Um, that's going to take us uh, a good amount of time to prepare for. But uh, so we're going to be doing stuff like that lists, uh, newer releases, just kind of smaller stuff you can expect from the movie journals. Yeah, of course. Uh, Stop Wait What is our comedy podcast um, that uh, if you see an episode on Friday, it'll be either this or Stop Wait What. So I recommend listening to that. Uh, really funny stuff. Uh, Brendan's always on that. Uh, and then it's just a variety of a combination of other people. Um, it's a comedy advice show. So we try to answer questions as well as just uh, improv a ton. And uh, yeah, we have a lot, a lot of fun on that one. Two kind of baby shows uh, are Octo Island, which is our Star Wars podcast. We've only had two episodes of that um, uh, months apart, maybe a year apart. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we might be coming out. You might be coming at you with more of that. Uh, that's on less of a strict schedule. It's just kind of whenever we feel like putting one of those out. Uh, the other one of those is Twisted Mug Mysteries. Um, Brendan has started. Uh, a new show about uh, mysteries and uh, and the occult and the supernatural, um, things like uh, Bob and the White Lodge and uh, yeah, haven't gotten there yet with that show, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So you know, tune into any of those other ones uh, if you had fun with this. Um, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Twisted Mug Media. Um, we love to interact with you guys on, on social media, so please reach out to us that way. Or, um, if you have questions, comments, anything else, uh, you can email us at twistedmugmedia at gmail.com. Um, anything else? Uh, I think that basically wraps it up. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot of content out there on the feed, and as always, you can expect some new stuff to come out. Um, but yeah, I think this concludes this episode of Back in Style. Yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Logan. And I'm Matthew. Catch you later.